Welcome to a Fresh Story podcast. This season, we're digging into all things divorce. We'll be discussing the ins, the outs, the nitty gritty, all that stuff we don't talk about. Well, we're going to talk about it. Join us for everything you've always wanted to know about divorce, but we're afraid to ask. Remember, you're not alone. Let's dive into divorce together. We have Carol Holiday here. Carol, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Who is Carol Holiday? Wow. I asked that question so many times <laughs> over the last decade. I can't tell you. And yeah. That's why I ended up with the book of the title, I Don't Know Who I Am Anymore, because it took me a while to find out. Uh, I call myself, if you look at the bio on my uh, socials, the accidental author, because mm. who knew at 68 years old that I would write a book? And I certainly, that wasn't in my plans. That was one of those good, unexpected things. Yeah. Uh, so I like to say I am a golden aged woman who has reinvented herself and uh, has finally been able to answer that question. So uh, writing is a new love of mine. And, and my greatest joy, of course, are the nine littles that I see almost daily who mm. still love and adore me and think I'm really great. So I kiddingly I always say to my friends, don't tell them otherwise. <laughs> what do they call you? Do you have a special grandma name? Well, I have Nana. 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 Yeah. Nana's and a good one. We have a Nana that, too. Yeah. Are you really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have a Nana. Yeah, a classic. It's a classic name. Well, mm -hmm. I came across mm -hmm. you, Carol, because your son I follow on Twitter, mm. and he was talking about how proud of you he is. And, mm. you know, we are obviously, you know, sharing divorce stories. And so we love to hear about everybody's experience with divorce because it happens at all stages in life. And so when uh, your son shared about you, I jumped at the chance to talk to you. So we're really happy to have you here today. I felt really honored. And, and I always call myself a lucky ducky through all of these tough times. You know, somehow mm -hmm. my little webbed feet managed to find the dry spots. Casey, oh, my that. youngest, is one of those. Uh, he is a tender-hearted soul. And he never tells me when he does anything on social media. So <laughs> he posted this like, my poor mom, she was supposed to be marketing this book about her divorce. And she had to go through all these major surgeries and hasn't been able to be out there like she has. So, hey, anybody know anybody? And that's how we connected. Yeah. And I couldn't be more delighted. Uh, yeah, a divorce after 35 years of marriage yeah. is a new way of looking at life. Let's just say it like that. And a divorce that includes um, what I refer to as an intimate betrayal is an mm. especially tough one. Yeah. Because it's the gift that keeps on giving. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, so, yes, that's how you and Casey and I all connected. Yeah, yeah I love really that. That we did. Yeah. I just want to jump right in. Why don't you just what, take us back to the beginning of your Fresh Start story? You've got me like... You're, you're very, I can see why you're, you naturally came to writing because you're very good at like spinning a tale and getting you interested. Yeah, we're here. We're well, here. If I can keep my um, focus off of Scotland right now, as I know <laughs> that's where you are and that's my home away from home and my, yeah. my heart runs deep for that country. Well, I think have to let me know when you get here country. next time. We can get a cup of coffee. I didn't want to picture myself walking through the moors or some haunted castle while I'm supposed to be talking to you. But um, yeah, I, you know. First of all, I love this whole idea that you guys have done. What a light you bring to the world. And yes, you talk about very difficult things. I mentioned before we started recording about how I cried my way through October because of you two. But mm. what a great 
opportunity you gave these people to share their their heart's desire. And when you say shame dies when stories are shared in a safe space, man, I can't tell you how true that's been for me. So thank you for that. Um, thank you. I always say my fresh start, or if I were to answer that question today, I would say it's sort of fractured. It's sort of two part. The first part being all those unwelcome, unanticipated, unasked for events that happened in your life, the loss, disappointments, heartaches that you didn't see coming. Um, what I refer to as inciting incidents, uh, which is a screenwriting term. Yeah, so those Campbell terms that too, right? To set the trajectory of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, those were my inciting incidents. And um, my life radically, the trajectory completely went haywire after those things happened. Um, and then the second part of my fresh starts would be all of the collection of those moments, you guys, where you say to yourself, maybe I am worth getting well for it. it, For me, it wasn't just one day where I woke up and, Oh, I turned the corner today. Now I know I'm going to rewrite my story and I'm going to go into my golden years, inspiring women to remake them. That was, no, that wasn't happening. It was those quiet moments after I had cried for three hours in my closet on the floor, you know, saying, I I don't know who I am. Who, who am I? What happened? Where are all of the labels and tags that I so easily affixed to myself that I like? Mm. I have to take those off now because I'm none of those things. Right. Um, So it it was, first of all, fractured from the inciting incidences Mm -hmm. and those things where I decided to change and then everything in between. Um, So what were those losses? Um, Well, one day my husband disclosed that he had reignited an affair with someone he had been with 10 years prior. Mm -hmm. So not only was a difficult time to hear on that day, it reawakened, it picked the scab off a lot of work I had done in the past to get over that other incident. And then to uh, the next day, get a call and lose my job, which sent me into a financial tumble and leading to bankruptcy, which in my mind, completely unimaginable. The shame that I carried, I cannot tell you for that. But often with divorce, you know, there's comorbidities, as we say, Mm -hmm. there's the financial fallout, uh, the emotional fallout. If with the betrayal situation, you have to ask yourself, would anybody want me? Does anybody want me? Am I just that discarded person? Um, So those are the questions that come along. And as a result of those things, and um, I developed a heart problem that still exists to this day. That's one of the surgeries I had to have again. Mm -hmm this spring. And that was a result of that constant fight or flight, the hypervigilance. I feel like the key word for divorce is hypervigilance. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's something that other people have have mentioned, but just constantly feeling like you're the, the gazelle at the watering hole. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I don't think, I don't think lioness (laughs) over there hiding in wait for me. And that's how I felt like I lived for so many years. Yeah. I don't think any other guest has verbalized that, but I think watching my sister go through it, watching my mom go through it, you know, that is a very well explained phenomenon. Right. And, and you bring up such a good point because people have said to me, actually, Casey verbalized this. He goes, Mom, so many people have said to me, well, you know, at least you guys weren't little. And I know, yeah. Olivia, that's your story. And my heart just breaks for all the things. I can't imagine having to like pass kids from one meeting point. I mean, that's a whole other thing. But he said, as an adult story, you almost have to 
it's almost worse because you feel like the life that you lived wasn't true. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't honest. And I think when your adult children have to look at parents and see flaws, see things that they'd done in the past. um, Because my kids had to wonder, mom, mom, why did you stay in this? Mm You know, so they begin to wonder about my emotional health. And that's part mm. of Casey's quest constantly <laughs> behind my back. Not tell me he's posting yeah. these things because he wants me to tell this story. Well, yeah, I think that that's accurate. I think that when you're little, yeah. you see your parents getting divorced and you, you, you learn from that, whatever you learn from that. But I do think I've, what in my experience with friends and, you know, our dad's parents got divorced when he was a little, little bit older too you've kind of been like, well, this is a good marriage probably, right? They're still together. And you sort of build your concept of love and marriage around those parents. So then to have that fall apart, I think Mm. it is very paradigm shifting for adult children of divorce in that capacity. Very astute. Let me tell you, you go through divorce as a family. Mm -hmm. This is not something that happens between two people. I thought about that so often when I listen to your stories from the people on your podcasts. It's never in isolation. We're, we don't live in a vacuum. You know, the old saying, no man is an island. But yeah. it's like the, the wake that goes out from an inciting incident, from a trauma, mm-hmm. yeah. is yeah. very far reaching. And it encompasses all kinds of people. I had friends that when they found out, just burst into tears because we were that couple that they held out, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so everybody has a story associated with a long marriage breaking down. For sure. It's so true. It's so true. Can you take us, I want to go back to the beginning, Carol. So like, I want to hear really like everything. So, you know, where you met your ex-husband, having children, what was your life like as new parents and kind of how did that proceed? Yeah, that's, you know, 35 years is a long time. And uh, I met my ex when I was 14. Now, all of you gasp. Parents, collectively, mothers, <laughs> take your head, bang your head against the cupboard door because that is not an okay thing. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, looking back, I recognized that I had really not ever matured. Strangely enough, as I started dating again as a senior, which by the way, Casey signed me up for a dating not <laughs> my knowledge again. So what again, what the answer? That's story for much. another day. But yeah. Oh man, oh man! I realized that I had gotten stuck in a time warp. I didn't yeah. have the natural maturation because I was so emotionally connected to this person. Because yeah. you, it is possible to have very deep love and affection and yes. care, but there's also this immaturity that goes along with it, right? Yeah. And um, I was sort of the good girl who liked the bad boy. And decided that this would be my makeover project. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I remember used to I used to um, take his love letters and grammatically outline them and diagram them. That tells you a little bit about my personality. But we were actually um, together. We were, you know, high school sweethearts and um, married young. I was twenty one. And immediately began a life of up and down and up and down Mm. and up and down and a lot of craziness. We were a lot of fun, but we were a lot of chaos. Yeah. And I was sort of that one that always tried to keep the governor. I was the governor of the relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, that's how it worked. And we actually started a series of businesses, became fairly successful. 
and lived a very nice lifestyle. I mean, I don't really talk about this, but at one point I lived in a house that was 14,000 square feet. And now I live in a little studio behind my son's house. And I have decided that it's really not the place that you are. It's, it's the people you hold in your heart and those that work that you've done to make yourself feel like a valuable human being, regardless of your setting. My goodness, if people in the world had to count their value on where they laid their head at night, I think it'd be a rough go. So that's a little capsule. Um, I mean, there were multiple infidelities throughout my marriage, but I fixed them. I was Mm. the fixer. And I actually, and the weird thing is that part of me was, it was that I was really saw the best in this person and continued to see the best in this person and feel very fortunate that the work I've done has kept me from anger and bitterness and resentment. I don't have a relationship with him, but I don't hold those things in my heart either. Yeah. You can see that in your personality and your energy. You have a very light energy. You don't have a heavy, bitter, you know, angry energy, which is also okay if people have that too, but that's just not something you hold. So what was it about this last moment, this pivotal point that was different than the others? You mean the last moment of my marriage? Yeah. That you like said that there was like one that he revealed to you that he had Done. This is really interesting. Livia, you ask interesting questions because you've been through this, I think. <laughs> or maybe you just have a certain, both of you obviously are successful because you have a certain intuition with people because you're asking things people have never, has never asked me. But um, anyway, I think this is really weird. For some reason, I was thinking about this just the other night is that um, he chose to disclose that other person's name to me at that very last day when he was leaving. And he later on said to me, because I really wanted to hurt you as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I think the reason was, is he wanted me to say it's over and leave. And, you know, he's not, I really, he's not a mean spirited, horrible person. Um, I think at that moment, it was probably regrettable to him at some point, but because he really did know that he had totally destroyed me and actually said that. So I think that's what made the difference that it was a definite and the fact that my kids now who were all living at home, strangely, it hadn't happened for years, but all my adult children happened to be at home and it's not something I could hide from them. I asked my oldest son to come home from work. Literally, he took one look at me, took me in his arms and I cried, I think for two, maybe two hours straight, just Mm -hmm. him holding me. I couldn't hide it. They were living with me. Mm -hmm. So that began our journey as a family to understanding how this whole divorce thing works, the parts and components that break, that are, that have to be worn away to be rebuilt again, and how we collectively as a family community and friends that supported us decided that we were going to get through this. That was day so, one. So how did you do that? So, and how many children do you have? Take us through that, your family well, system. It seems like 10. <laughs> <laughs> I have three and okay. I think of their partners as my three as well. Aww. So, and then I have nine littles. So there's a herd of us. I always yeah. call us, we're like the clown car of babies, you know, <laughs> unending, unending a barrel of monkeys. But, um, you know, that's again, really an insightful query because it wasn't until my daughter signed me up for this writing competition mm. that, and I had to think of something to write. I mean, it was a definitive space. It was in the faith space, the inspirational space. It was like self-help, like uh, um, nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what am I going to write about? I would have, 
I, she wanted me to take this because like her brothers, she wanted to see that I was healing and that I was healthy and I could contribute. And she thought I had gifts in writing. And she said multiple times, mom, you need to do this. And I knew that it wasn't something I would have done on my own. Basically, she signed me up and forced me to do this. And it wasn't until I was listening to the agent who was teaching this course in the midst of this competition. I mean, someone asked, what do you, what do you write about? And she said, you write about what you Google at 3 a.m. Ooh. This is a long answer to your short Ooh, question. That gives me chills. I love that. <laughs> I know. I always tell people, if you want to write, and look, at people have gifts of writing and they don't necessarily know what they want to write. That to me was like, bing, bing, bing. Mm-hmm, I know mm-hmm. what I Google constantly, truly at 3 a.m. Because you never sleep in a divorce. I mean, who sleeps? I didn't sleep. <laughs> who sleeps? Yeah. Um, I Googled, can human DNA be rearranged? Ooh. Now that's totally weird, but I have a life science background and I have an interest in medicine and all things like that. So I thought I'm not the same person. Mm -hmm. I I don't know who I am, but I know that the person I was isn't who I'm going to be. So surely there must be a way that those double helix strands can be unwound, unfurled and stripped clean. And in my book, I say it's like a sprig of garden rosemary that you take with Mm -hmm. your finger and Mm -hmm. run it down. Yeah. That has happened to my double helixes. I know it. There's got to be a way my DNA has been rearranged. I kept Googling that. That's what led me, and here's the answer to your question, to how did I get out of this? Yeah. And I sat down during this writing course slash competition, and I said, okay, that's what I Googled. How did I find that answer? Mm. And I made... I think I wrote seven to nine things down and each of those ended up becoming a chapter in my book. Um, Because I just looking back, I said, how is it that this story can bring hope? Mm -hmm. How is it? Because I didn't want my pain to be wasted. And some pastor told me someday, your pain won't be wasted. And I know what 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 exactly does this talking about, you know? Well, I thought it's like yesterday I was with a good friend and she said, I was traveling in Nova Scotia. So weird. And I was on this bus and I'm sitting next to this woman and I couldn't help her overhearing all of the losses she was going through. And she said, I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, I'm sorry, excuse me, but my best friend just wrote a book. (laughs) And she said, (laughs) my friend, she said back to her, I think God put you on this trip just for me. Now, mm-hmm. when I hear stories like that, or I get, my favorite thing is emailing people who have experienced loss and there's no shortage of them, trust no. me. And a no shortage of women my age getting divorced. Yeah. It's an epidemic, basically. Yep. Mm-hmm. When I hear from them and I can respond to them, that is my greatest joy. So that's what that pastor meant no pain will be wasted. My pain wasn't going to be wasted because I was going to tell the story of how I dealt with the pain, how I processed it. I didn't go over it. I didn't go around it. I didn't go under it. I went through it. And how did I do that? So that's, that's basically what it is. So um, I I say to people, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist would have loved to have been a shrink, but um, that wasn't in the cards for me. I'm just a girl, a little grown up girl, but Mm -hmm. I'm just a girl who's trying to make, take another step and figure life out. And when this happened to me, when my divorce happened, followed by the comorbid, comorbid, very typical things Mm -hmm. that ride along with it, the financial downfall, the physical health uh, decline, all of those, having to move multiple times, 
having to question your own identity and your sanity, looking for work at my age. You know, I went to an esteemed university, but that was a long time ago. And when I went back to school, I had to redo my undergrad because a lot of those credits didn't count. How do you do all of those things? Mm-hmm. And um, that was the story that I thought would be the proof that my pain wouldn't be wasted. Long answer to your short question. Sorry. So what was, the, what, what was the answer you came to about your DNA? What do you think? <laughs> there were a lot of things. It was, it was a multiplicity of things. It's never one. You know, it's never one. It's, it's collective. And, and the reason I said I'm not a therapist is because I'm not saying, oh, do these steps, everybody. Right. It's going to be great. Um, the first one that I addressed was called standing in your pain. And that is no matter how hard it is, you've got to face the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a coping mechanism that's very effective, and that is compartmentalizing. Yeah. And children learn that especially well. Um, and, yeah. you know, when things are painful, you put them in a little drawer. And it's okay if that's just a short-term solution. But if you keep them in there forever and you never pull it out, you're not moving through anything. And it's going to surface again in some other way, maybe in, in an anger that you don't totally understand or lashing out against someone or yeah. unexplained depression. So stand in your pain was the first one that I uh, use. And I, I quote a lot of... Uh, a Yale professor and theologian by the name of Henry Nowen, who lived um, decades ago. He's long gone, but he's left a lot of wonderful spiritually based books about the great treasures of life being found in the things that most hurt. Well, who the heck wants to hear that? Nobody. Yeah. (laughs) You have interviewed enough people to know that that is the theme. Probably that's the thread running through all of it is that, you know, that, sweet woman who talked about her sweet CJ dying. Yeah. And it's like, look at the beautiful way she keeps his memory alive. And she didn't run from that. Right. So I think stand in your pain was one of the first ones. And one of my favorite chapters is find some friends with stretchers, which you guys provide in your community. That's based on the ancient narrative of Jesus healing the man who they, they made a hole in the roof and they lowered him in his feet and he healed him. and, And he said, this great thing. He said, it's not the faith of the guy that needs the healing. It's the faith of the friends who brought him. Mm. him. My friends brought me on a stretcher everywhere they went. Mm. And I talk about very specific ways you can help friends who are going through loss. As you guys know, no one wants to invite that person to the party. Yeah. And yet people don't know. People they that, they don't know what to day, do. They, they don't, don't know what to say. They don't who, know how to be around you, know you. No shame on them. Who the heck knows what to say when yeah. you open the door? I you know, I got a call this week that a dear young friend has stage 4 cancer. Who wants to right. go show up at their door? But uh, it's interesting the response I've gotten about my book is from just as much from people who say, "Wow, I was that person that said, "Why are you taking so long? Can't you just snap mm-hmm. out of it?" Mhm. And I realized I will never say those words again. And you gave me some practical ideas. Like uh, my oldest son and his friends came over and helped clean out my garage one Saturday morning. They called me, are you home? I go, yeah, I'm home. We're bringing coffee and donuts. They came over, pulled everything out of my garage, straightened it all, tossed things away, put it all back together and said, see ya. You you know, you don't have to have a psychology degree. Mm -hmm. Right. And just sitting with someone and there's, I had like yeah. give practical ways that you can help. So, so my friends, huge, huge thing, writing a new narrative, it's called narrative psychology. I didn't know that 
writing yeah. a new story about how you believe your future can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jetting mm-hmm. Pain. You guys covered that so extensively. I first heard that from on a podcast from Tiffany Alici. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She's the budgetista. And she said, uh-huh. you know, it takes a long time to shed shame. Yeah. And I say, you do it a bit at a time. And people go, yeah. why did you feel shameful? You didn't try to get out of the marriage. You didn't leave someone financially abandoned. I said, because I should have been better. I should have known more. I should have, mm-hmm. I should have, I should have, I should have. Yep. Yep. You should on and yourself those, a lot. That's right. Your, <laughs> your friends help dismantle. And then I talk about food, grief, and other distractions because I used to own a cooking school and I would see that. I would see people would call me at a time. And we were a, a fun place. It was with my friends, my Scottish sister, mm-hmm. uh, Sarah, who I talk about her death and how I cared for her, which was part of that bundle of grief that I experienced with her, my dearest and, and I don't know, still to this day, I miss her. Anyway, she and I had a cooking school and uh, people would call ahead of time and say, I'm bringing Sue her son has just been diagnosed with this really tough mental situation. I just want to give you the heads up. Or I'm bringing my friend who just got a cancer diagnosis, you know, or I'm bringing my friend who's really suffering because her kids all moved away and she's lonely. They would, and, and we always had this saying, it said, feed the, feed the soul first, the stomach will happily follow. So I think we cared so much for people, just like you do on the internet. We cared for people in person mm-hmm. and we made them feel loved and fed them. And I thought, I think the food tasted better because of it. It does. <laughs> yeah. So food, grief, and other distractions, I thought following a recipe mm-hmm. was yeah. very helpful for me. If you don't like that. to cook, maybe it's Chinese checkers. Maybe it's learning a language. Maybe it's planning your uh, trekking trip to the Himalayas. I don't know. Right. You've got to have distraction in your life. Yeah. yeah. So those were the tools. I think forgiveness is a huge part of that if that fits into your story because ultimately bitterness and anger really destroy you and don't really do anything to anybody else. So for yeah. me, that was a huge spiritual component in my life. And yeah. finding joy and purpose and realizing you can rewrite a story and actually there is life after loss where you can experience a rich and deeply rewarding existence that you never knew existed. I love that. I just want to pause for a second and talk. Your children must adore you. Uh, we adore each other, actually. Yeah. We, <laughs> you know, they're very funny. Casey last year at this time surprised me. I don't know if you saw this on a TikTok because it had a lot of hits, but he was coming to visit from Perth, Australia, where they had moved during the pandemic. So I hadn't seen him for two years. And he was supposed to come like the first week in December. Well, he showed up at my door unexpected with his littlest little, who I hadn't yet met, at my door one morning at 7 a.m., I opened it to a knock, and there he was standing there. And if you ask, oh, how do they feel about each other? You can watch that video, and you know. And then the next day, my oldest son, who's hilarious, too, in a very different way, said, Ma, oh, Carol doesn't like surprises. But let me tell you what Casey did yesterday. So we have this really funny relationship that, yes, yeah. we're there, thick and thin. That's it. I, I have a question, though, and you don't have to answer this, but you mentioned that your husband, your ex-husband had 
infidelities kind of throughout the marriage. How did you balance your parenting with your marriage? And like, you know, um, it sounds like you're, you are a very hands-on full-time mom and business owner, but also had these kind of this heartache happening at the same time. How did that all play together? And that's why the name of my book is, I don't know who I am anymore. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Because I didn't navigate that very well. I had this Mm -hmm. altruistic thing that's really kind of very sick in that I thought, Oh, I'm so noble, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm just keep polishing the armor and nobody's going to know because that's what you do. Right. Right. Remember I come out of a generation and for your listeners that are older, I come out of a generation where we sort of bridge the idea of women having new identities. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I was at a campus where there was a lot of, a lot of furor, post-Vietnam War, a lot of activists, a lot of discussion about uh, women's rights and all of that. So I was, you know, an intelligent, ambitious woman who was caught between these two worlds of a very traditional role and my traditional role as a woman and things I thought about my faith that really I came to understand were not true. Mm -hmm. Um, So I used a lot of that compartmentalization, Olivia, that Mm -hmm. wasn't so good. Sometimes I had to because I was raising three children with very active lives and I had this big household to maintain and lots of people who worked for me. And I think that later on led to why I was so broken. Yeah. I, my friends were shocked by how broken I was by this separation and later on divorce. They, they found it hard because they saw me as a, a force. They saw me as a leader what happened to you? I was over in the corner. I was 30 pounds less than I weighed right now. Mm-hmm. I was in the corner. I couldn't put two words together. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine ever having, right. you know, so I think what happened is I stuffed it all. Yeah. And then later on when I realized I couldn't do that anymore, I paid the price later in life. Look at you pay the piper. Yeah. Now or then that's why that, right. first, that's why that first thing I wrote in the book was stand in your pain. Right. Yeah. Look at I'm talking have to, confront to me. It. I was talking yeah. to me. I right. wasn't good at this. I was not good at grief, you guys. Right. Not good yeah. at it. Nobody, I mean, who is? Like, right? We have to we have to learn and we teach our children that. We model that for them as we grow up. I wonder, you know, you mentioned that this sort of the golden divorce trend is sort of not trend, but you know, it's trending up. Right. Um, right. And I wonder if you could speak on your experience with that, if you could speak with, you know, to your experience of talking to other women who are, you know, like retired and getting divorced or something like that, like where do you think that's coming from? Why do you think that's sort of happening right now? Boy, that's a really interesting question too. Yay for point for Jenny. on that one. <laughs> Good job, Jenny. Yeah, I do believe it is a trend. I do yeah. believe, now I don't have any numbers in front of me right now, yeah. but I do believe it's happening it's, more and it's more. It's going up. Like, yeah. It is. You yeah. do know yeah. that. So, yeah. And anecdotally, I do because those are my contemporaries, right? So right. I kind of, I kind of went MIA for a while. The joke is you mentioned about social media and stuff, Olivia. I went into basically a witness protection program. I wanted no public identity. I wanted not one bit of thing on social media. Right. And then you write a book and someone goes, oh, by the way, you have to do social media. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, uh, what? Yeah, yeah. So I do think that those people my age, the women my age, that like I had thousands of women that came, that came to my cooking school. I like literally fell off the face of the earth. I disappeared. Yeah. And so women, when I cropped up again, were like, oh, there you are. And by the way, I've experienced that same thing. 
And yeah. so number one, validating your idea. Number two, um, I think that we all have our identity crises, right? Men have theirs, women have theirs. For some reason, I don't know, the attachment of something new on one's arm is still so much a part of a man's appreciation for himself, shall we say? Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not a psychologist, as I said, but, but I find that, and that was certainly my case, that all of a sudden the, um, the images that were, I was seeing was not anything like what I valued. I think mm-hmm. women have an idea of valuing walking off into the sunset. And maybe this is the romanticized part of it, like holding this wizened, like wrinkly hand and you're kind of shuffling through central park in the fall with the leaves. You know, you have this mm-hmm. idealized viewpoint and a man's viewpoint is not that mm-hmm. his lack of identity maybe plays out by what he also attaches to himself. And maybe that hasn't been enough of a discussion among men. They're they're now of course opening up and understanding things like that, but that's just been my experience. It's played out numerous times that, you know, identities need to be bolstered, value needs to be, you know, the stock needs to go up a little bit. And there's a certain way that culture uh, evaluates what someone's stock going up looks like. It's very different for men than it is for women. And I still think that plays out. I don't know. But I also see a whole bunch of guys that I know that love the fact that they've been married a very long time. Most of my friends are married in long marriages and I'm just as close to the guys as I am to the women and they completely value and esteem their partners. So again, I don't want to paint with broad strokes. I just think for the people who have, who have approached me, that's been the story. Yeah. I just, I, and I agree. Olivia and I are true. We love love. And so we always love to hear about wonderful husbands. So that's nice to hear too. But I think that, you know, I go back to like 20 years ago when our grandparents were still, were like your age, you know, and they weren't, the idea of getting divorced at that time was, it was wild. You know, it was kind of this idea of you you made it this long, you just stay. And yeah. I, I think that that's changing. Like, and, and we're proud that that's changing. We're glad that that's changing. And I think it's really compelling. Yeah. I think that, um, look at, in all fairness, I always say comparison is the evil seed of inferiority. We live in a time where never before has comparison been foisted upon us, yeah. both women and men. Yeah. If yeah. we're looking to the wrong place to find our value mm-hmm. and we're comparing ourselves to the wrong item or person, we're in for a bumpy ride, mm-hmm. both men mm-hmm. and women. Yeah. yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy, right? That's what they say. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't be said enough. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Carol, if somebody is going through a fresh start in life, what would be some wise words that you can impart to them? This is where we need a big pot of tea, <laughs> 15 cups. And we'll link to your book so they can <laughs> read it. Yes. And a lot yeah. of stones. Yeah, you can find the recipe in my book for that. Yeah. Um, I would say, dear friend, it won't always be this way. Yeah. It feels like it's going to go on forever and it will never end. And the despair and pain you feel will never stop. I am going to tell you from someone who felt very, very dark and very, very hopeless that that day is coming for you where you will see the light, but got to do the work and you got to fight against the isolation because that's what grief will do. Isolate. 
Mm, yeah. I love that. That's great advice. I love that too. And the hardest question, our favorite question, what was the last thing that you ate and really loved? <laughs> you guys, you ask someone who owned a cooking school. It's never hard to talk <laughs> we about. We want to hear it it's all. It's hard for me. I always think it's hard. I forget everything I've ever eaten when, oh I, my when she asks that question. No. I, well, yesterday I got together with some friends and I made soup. So this is my soup time of year. I made a, um, a Mediterranean lentil and then, but my favorite soup this time of year is a butternut squash with pear. Mm. Mm. A little bit of thyme, a little bit of a cream drizzled on top with some pepitas, some pumpkin seeds. But I want to tell you this: I had somebody come over the other day and pull the book Heidi off my shelf. You guys are too young. No, Shirley we know Heidi. Heidi. Oh, we watched Heidi? with our grandmother. grandmother? Yep. Oh, yeah. my so this person starts reading, and I go, "Oh, that book's all about those soft white rolls." Mm. Well, what are you talking about? I said, no, I became as an eight-year-old obsessed with soft white rolls. So now I decided I pulled out a recipe from the internet, Heidi's white rolls. I'm going to make them all fall and winter long. I'll let you know how it goes. They're basically the post, post the recipe once you've perfected it. I love it. it. Well, I will. I will. I'll go. <laughs> Carol, you are, uh, you are an inspiration. You are such a light mm-hmm. and so just like lovely to talk to. And we're so excited for you and so happy for you and proud of you. And mm-hmm. just like, thank you for being here and sharing your story. Cause we know, we know it's going to help in yeah. so many people. It really will. You touched my soul. You too. Little do you know, right? You get on a call for 30 minutes and you make a difference in somebody's world. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's story. We're always here and we're so proud of you. A Fresh Story is produced by Fresh Starts Registry the first and only platform for everything you need to begin again. You can read the show notes and learn more about today's episode at afreshstory.com.